As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is a podcast from The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. podcast bonus and I'm joined by um, uh, Rory Smith who's uh, the latest addition to to our football crew um, at the Times and Rory whenever you meet people who are in our line of work I'm kind of saying like we're all extremely fortunate um, I think to be doing this job Um, but I'd like to know when you were a kid what did you want to do because and the reason I ask this is, is our leader Ollie Kay when he was a child, he was very clear on what he wanted to do. He he, he ran massive simulations. He, he he like designed some this football board game for like the 1986 World Cup, and he still kept meticulous statistics of every team and stuff like that. And were you also sort of football sick, or did you have a slightly uh, like Ollie and myself like, like we were, or did you have a slightly healthier outlook? Uh- I suspect probably more on the football sick side than the uh, than the healthy outlook side. I mean, I did do other things as a child. I'm not quite that Kerouacian level of obsess- obsessiveness that Ollie can put up. But no, I, yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a footballer. I think that's probably the one thing that unites all football journalists, that they all wanted to be footballers. Uh, and then you realise you can't, because you're rubbish. So you, you end up sort of looking for something else to do in the game. And... I don't know. It's it was always been a. There's no sort of fascinating backstory about when I decided. Well, how yeah. old did you? How old were you when you realised you would never make it as a professional footballer? Twenty four, twenty five. Finally gave up on the dream. No, I don't know. You, I guess you, you work it out at sort of twelve, eleven, twelve, thirteen, probably nowadays. And I don't know. It just but football always fascinated me. European football. I remember sort of watching as mu- in the days when European football was relatively hard to watch. Doing doing as much as you could to, to sort of absorb everything about it. Just reading constant magazines, ninety minutes on the which came out on a Tuesday. I think I used to run down to the news agents for and uh, long since departed. Ninety minutes, unfortunately. But it's it was just something that surrounded me and. Yeah, I guess that level of detail, knowing the players, knowing the names of the players, knowing what was good about the players and what was bad about the players, just fascinated me. I, I, one of the most embarrassing things I ever did was go on a Radio 5 Live phone-in about Eastern European football to ask a question about Georgian football at the age of 12. I think that probably sums up my childhood. All right, now just to get this in context, like uh, you're, you're obviously um, younger than, uh, than Ollie and me, so like you would, uh, when you were 12 years old, you're, talk- you're not talking about sort of, uh, you know, Stalinist Russia you're talking about or even was it I mean you were talking about 1990s it was well it's 94 so it'd be yeah I guess it would maybe 13 it would be when King Clancy had signed for Man City and I was interested in the fact that there were these new borders opening up Savo Milosevic was at Villa I think and just I guess it's the exoticism of it that fascinates you my geography is still dictate when I meet someone from abroad I ask where they're from knowing that I'll, I'll probably have heard of the city 
because of the football team, not because I have this sort of globe in my head. And those names were really evocative. It was a time when, I don't want to sort of over-romanticise it, but the world was opening up a little bit and you could go to these places suddenly and your English teams were back in Europe. I remember English teams going back into Europe after the high school ban and and it, it just seemed so sort of glamorous and Serie A was full of all these sort of evocative names and it was it was just sort of that aspect of it, far more than I supported an English club, but far more than, than that, that aspect of it fascinated me and I wanted to to travel and, and see how it was different and I, I do believe now that football is a great sort of cultural diviner almost you can you can tell a lot about a country through its football one of the um it's interesting you you made that point you can tell a lot about country through its football because this is this is one of those things that i've well a lot of people have written books about that how football uh, you know reflects sort of a, a national character and so on and by the same token there are some people like myself um who actually think that it's not the football itself that reflects a national character. It's perhaps the way the, um, the, the the fans and the people of the country react to it. But in this world where, you know, there's it, it's not as homogenous as it once was. There are so many influences. There's access to so much information. There are so many foreign players pretty much in every league, foreign managers. We can watch football from other countries. Do you think that's still the case? I mean, do you think your, your children, should you ever procreate, might grow up in a world where... They just wouldn't understand why French football would be different from Slovakian football. You said procreate like like it would be some sort of dystopian prospect for the planet, which I thank you for. Um, No, I I think there there, there will always be those differences and there will always be those sort of weird cultural tropes that each country adopts in its football for no for no apparent reason why should the spanish have this tradition of titty tacker what or this sort of false tradition of titty tacker what exactly is it about spanish character that means that it, it kind of works there and it fits there but the one thing that i do think that has been lost with the homogenization of the game is is the glamour when i was a kid red star belgrade and Stauer bucharest were these incredibly sort of powerful potent names and you Red Star was skillful, and the, you know the side of, of Prozenetsky and, and Stoichevich and, and Panchev, and you know they, they were skillful. They were sort of these dark, swarthy magicians on the ball. But the Champions League and the you know the Brzezinski thanks you by the way for calling him yeah, swarthy. Yeah, yeah he, he's sort of the albino swarthy right. one. Oh, the uh, yeah the, the Champions League and, and the way the game's gone has, has removed that, and and now that. I don't know, a lot, a lot of the mystery has done out of football, and I think that's a real shame. I think that's something we've, we've lost. It still exists, maybe in South America to, to an extent, but we see so much football now that there is no mystery anymore. And also, I mean, the Champions League and, and the wealth in the Western European game has... I, I mean, it's just destroyed the, the great names of Eastern Europe, and I think that's, that, I do think that's a real shame. I mean, Dino Tbilisi, Liverpool fans still talk about Dino Tbilisi in 1981 as being the hardest game the club's ever played the, the toughest opponents that you know that great side faced I mean that's unimaginable un- unimaginable now Welsh sides beat Dinamo Tbilisi in the first qualifying round of the UEFA Cup and that's something that does sadden me well they'll just have to find uh, their own Eastern European oligarch there and uh, all will be well but what, what strikes me about what, what, what you said is um in- Growing up, I had the same thing. I spent some time in Japan, and I remember reading um, World Soccer and Brian Glanville. And the reality is, Glanville could have told me that Borussia Mönchengladbach had a, had a refrigerator playing up front and a, and a Martian playing in goal. And I would have likely believed it because there was no access, there was no sort of you know way to sort of verify or form your own opinion about it, um, or, or to put it, I guess historically. 
you know, a very small group of journalists had access to the primary sources. Today, thanks to thanks to the web and satellite television and so on, yeah, we may have lost some of the mystery and romance, but everybody has access to the primary sources. Everybody can can watch a match unmediated just as the journalist does. And apart from maybe a little bit of access to, to players and managers and so on, we're all on a level playing field. Oh, yeah, the, the internet, it's, it's trite to say it, but the internet's massively changed the way that that things are reported and the way that we have to behave as journalists, I think, because even, even in in my short time, six or seven years reporting on football, it's the, the knowledge of fans about about Leeds, you know, incredibly sort of diverse and, and kind of specialist and niche is insane. You'll, you'll link, you know, a club to a player in the Belgian second division. You'll get someone on Twitter saying, well, actually, he's not a right winner. He prefers to play, you know, as a Trequartista. And it's, I mean, that, that's fantastic. That I suppose it's the global village, isn't it, almost? That it's brought people together and people can now watch Belgian. If you want to watch Belgian football, you can watch Bel- Belgian football, you know, until your heart is satiated. Um, at the same time, yeah, it makes it harder, I guess, for the journalists to find their role in society, and you have to have that that ability to analyse and to to construct an argument and construct a narrative around football. That's what football is largely; it's a narrative based around a sort of arbitrary ninety minutes. Um, and I guess that's what the role is is nowadays. And I still think that, to an extent, having access to the managers and players, although it's increasingly fleeting, does inform your. Your, your decision making your opinion forming much more than than simply sitting and watching football matches I think knowing the, the you know the contact that you have again the increasingly fleeting contact that you have with people within clubs and within within the sport the decision makers means you can analyze things in a slightly different way which is why maybe you know people in the media have have curious sympathies with people that, that fans maybe don't sympathize with but it's because either they give us information or because you can sort of see maybe see things from a slightly different way All right, final question um the, the standard sort of dinner party question um three footballing figures alive or dead uh that would make sort of your perfect football chat related evening oh um I think I probably have to have you can amend this we can ask you this again in six months time so consider <laughs> uh, this a first effort I, I, he maybe wouldn't make great conversation but Juan Riquelme would have to be there as a, my favourite player and as a man who I'd quite like to ask how how you can how he can sort of dominate space in the way that he does you could just ask the same question to Paolo Di Canio he'd give you a better answer but go ahead Nick. possibly but his politics would make him a sort of disagreeable companion I think yeah, you know a liberal leaning dinner, dinner party that might be unfair on Paolo I'm not sure um, who else that's a very good question Saki possibly is the father of of modern sort of tactical thinking uh, oh Marcello Bielsa without a shadow of a doubt there you go Bielsa Saki and Riquelme I'd pay I'd sign up for the uh, pay-per-view just to just to see the hear the interplay between Bielsa and Riquelme and myself Uh, Rory thank you so much and uh, welcome to the Times helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. 